exercise, exercise, creativity, exercise, technicals. Hello, caller, who's this? Uh, hello, Mr. Let's Paint. What is going on? Who, who's this? Who's this? My name's Reed. What's up, Reed? What's going on? Um, nothing. I really like that you got the treadmill going. You got the... Yeah, thank you, thank you. Because tonight, tonight's the night, tonight. We got it going on tonight. Tonight, baby, yeah. You're just getting into a groove and, uh, I'm having fun, so keep it up. Thank you very much. Reed, uh, thanks for the call, buddy. Take care. Have a wonderful night. Have a wonderful
spaghetti.
Brothers of Brown Dwarfs. They're a sort of failed star, and we'll now stop talking about them. A far more interesting sort of rogue are terrestrial planets similar to Earth that got kicked out of their planetary system. Young star systems are dangerous places where protoplanets are battling for the available mass, guzzling up as much material as possible. In this fight for dominance, they collide with each other or get dangerously close to each other's orbits. If a very massive planet moves its orbit closer to the star, it can kick smaller planets out of the system. But just because a planet has survived the growing pains of formation doesn't mean it's safe. Planetary systems can be disrupted by flybys from stars or black holes at any point. Up to half of all planets born could end up as rogues. Scientists don't agree on the numbers, but it's likely that, at the very least, there are billions of rogue planets in the Milky Way alone. 
most rogues will share the same depressing fate. As their star becomes smaller day by day, the planet's surface quickly cools down to minus 270 degrees Celsius. If they have oceans, they'll freeze and become as hard as bedrock. Their atmospheres will sink down to the surface and eventually freeze too. But weirdly enough, some of these frozen, dark deserts could harbour life. To understand how, let's imagine a planet similar to Earth in the same order of magnitude in terms of mass and composition. If we put it into deep space, how could it still support life? As far as we understand the nature of life, there is one indispensable ingredient it needs, liquid water. Water is important because it mixes things, both matter and energy, which lets interesting chemistry happen, like life. So our planet needs enough energy to keep at least a part of our oceans warm enough to sustain liquid water. Annoyingly, about 99.97% of Earth's energy budget comes from the Sun. So our imaginary rogue Earth needs to work with the 0.03% of energy it has left, which almost exclusively comes from its hot center. Earth's inner core is a giant metal ball, about as hot as the surface of the Sun, that's surrounded by the outer core made up of liquid metals that are very, very slowly solidifying, releasing a lot of heat in the process. As long as this process is ongoing, our planet will be geologically active, with solid and liquid material moving around and transporting energy to the surface where it can be harnessed as geothermal energy. While the hot core of every planet will cool off eventually, this process takes billions of years, enough time for life to come into existence and thrive. There's even one scenario that could allow an Earth-like planet to have oceans that are not frozen over. If the planet had an extremely dense and high-pressure hydrogen atmosphere, the gas would not freeze and could trap enough of the heat trying to escape the planet to enable oceans that extend all the way to the surface. And there's another possible way to stay warm, moons. If a rogue planet brings a moon or more along with them, a large enough moon could inject additional energy into the system via tidal forces. These forces stretch and squeeze the planet a little bit every day, like kneading dough, keeping it warm. But the most likely scenario for a rogue-bearing life is one with subglacial oceans under a kilometer-thick layer of mostly water ice. These are not completely absurd, since we already have a few of them in the solar system. So how could life sustain itself at the bottom of a completely dark, cold ocean? On Earth, deep down in our oceans in complete darkness, in volcanically active areas, there are hydrothermal vents called black smokers. They spew out a cloud of black material and hot water, providing a constant flow of minerals from Earth's mantle. Bacteria feed on the minerals and produce organic materials, which attracts crustaceans, bivalves, snails, fish, octopus and tube worms up to two meters long. Not only are hydrothermal vents home to an incredibly diverse group of living beings, but also a contender for the place where life could have begun on Earth billions of years ago. In the dark ocean of a rogue planet, similar vents or volcanic activity could be the starting point and basis for complex ecosystems we can only imagine right now. One upside an ecosystem in a rogue planet ocean has is that the environment is extremely stable. The thick ice sheet protects it from all sorts of extinction events, and as long as the energy from the core keeps on coming, things stay pretty much the same. The most likely forms of life are bacteria and other microorganisms, but given enough time, more complex alien animals could feed on the smaller beings and thrive. It's not impossible that intelligent life could emerge in such an environment. If it did, it would find itself in a pretty weird world. Constricted by an impassable wall of rock-hard ice at the top and bedrock at the bottom, without any plants to store star energy, there would be no wood, oil or coal. Even if there were, it's not like you'd discover fire at the bottom of an ocean. Without this energy, metals may never be forged into useful things. Our intelligent alien friends might never break through the ice. They might never realize that there is such a thing as outside and assume that their small world is all there is. Millions of generations might live and die in these dark oceans, ignorant of the unbelievably big universe above the ice, until the core of their planet cools off and all life vanishes. As the oceans completely freeze, the remnants of cultures and ecosystems will be trapped in an icy grave forever. If you think about it, it might be better not to be aware of all that. But the concept is and exciting.
a sort of like build your brand and then like obviously money comes later but like there's almost more value in like social clout at that age or like clout within your community yeah it's um you have to build very durable fandoms now i'm looking at conversion rates this is, this is a metric this is what i'm most interested in recently is that there's audiences that are enormous and then their views to monetization is really tiny and that that signals a low level of trust in the content creator it means that the things this person is saying are not very impactful they don't affect the way i view the world you know it kind of reminds me of like community building like back when like you know the first wave of social you know there was this thing called like the community managers meetup this was before you could really like things would go viral but it was always one off and it was all about the communities right like the first social media is this like facebook era or... this was like yeah it was right after facebook launched pages so i would say 2010 2011 like early twitter early like tumblr but it was like before you had social media strategists, you had these like community managers. It was like, we were fans of us, and like, how do we find these people on the internet? It was a lot about blogs too, like finding these like little fandoms around like certain writers or bloggers. I think social media, like the web two sort of social media, is not really built for that. It's all based on scale and reach and stuff. And I do think we're getting back into that like communities era. Like, I mean, I feel like you and I spend a lot of time on Discord, and like, there's just very like strong discord communities and people are realizing that you don't need scale all the time like it's all about sort of like building this group that's very dedicated yeah well that's okay so i think that part of it is generational part of it is also just the, the arc of the internet and content production and brand building you and i are both millennials and to some degree we're early adopters of social media you more so than i am like your, your earliest tumbler but we, we were able to build careers later in life because we had the benefit of being here early but now like if you're just getting onto social media you have a hundred followers of your friends versus these multi-million accounts so i feel like people are opting out of that creative entrepreneur personal brand millennial strategy and are opting into these dark Dark forest, uh, private spaces like this And I see it in like the Zoomers that are part of our community in that they spend less time on Instagram and spend more time on Discord. Or even the time they're spending on those, they're forming communities that I think are not accessible to masses, or like they're very preferential, they're very like, they're not trying to like scale as much as like identifying groups, or in groups. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. I mean, I think TikTok has been like the most disruptive thing because but that's because it's not built on that follower model like you're primarily consuming things through an algorithm i feel like tiktok is now compulsory for the big content creators like you have to have a presence on it i mean it's the best it's the only sort of like white space on the internet where it's it, because it's not the distribution is not built on following and followers it's like it's a place that you can go, like you're talking about, that's like not totally saturated. It is more, way more saturated now than even a year ago, but still it's it, it's so good at delivering you like things that are relevant in these niche areas. And so there are, it reminds me so much of Tumblr where like there are these like communities and these like aesthetics that form out of there are these like subgroups. Yeah, I was thinking uh, I was thinking about Tumblr specifically, and there was an era of, I think this is maybe less the case on TikTok now, but in, in the early years, there was this like, Tumblr had these collisions of hashtags where things would combine that were very unpredictable, but then synthesized as like a new aesthetic language that was really exciting. And TikTok had like flashes of that or inklings of that. 
I don't know. I don't spend too much time there anymore. I feel like you gotta get on there, Josh. I, I, I was. It, it <laughs> broke my heart. It all. It, uh... <laughs> Thank you.
Sure. 